Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our second reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Now let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your word. Uh, We give you thanks and praise that you're the God that desires to be known. And so we pray that you would uh, prepare our hearts to know you better. Uh, And not just know you, but to live into what you want for us, what you want for this world. We pray that your word would would shape us, inform us, would convict and comfort and challenge and make us new. We pray that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds, that they would be acceptable in your sight. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I, I want to start by doing something that would probably get me in trouble in any uh, preaching class in a seminary. I know that my own preaching professor would be very annoyed that I'm going to do this, but I'm going to ask you for your indulgence. Um, you got to know the rules to break them, right? And uh, what, what I want to do this morning is actually start with a passage of Scripture that is not part of our readings. We're going to spend some time in a different passage of Scripture. So if you've got your Bible uh, there, we're going to come back to our reading, I promise. But if you've got your Bible... Uh, you can turn with me to, to uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're, most of you are on screens. BibleGateway.com will get you there. And I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Um, and Philippians, in case you need to find it, is kind of in the middle of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, so in the middle of the last third of the Bible, uh, there's a bunch of letter, uh, names that all sound sort of similar. So it's uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, I remember that with the acronym, Go Eat Popcorn, as you may remember. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And um, 
this comes right after this kind of marvelous hymn that that Paul writes in the first part of this chapter, um, uh, the, telling us kind of who and how Jesus is. And it ends with this hope that someday every living thing, everything that has ever lived, will will be lost in wonder, love, and praise of God's love for us in Christ, as the last verse of our hymn this morning, our first hymn this morning says. Uh, it, it's quite this marvelous vision. It, it, it's really something to think about. So I encourage you to go back and read that. But right now we're going to start at, at verse 12, where Paul says, Therefore, you know, because Jesus is this way, because this is true, therefore, my beloved, uh, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the message translates that as a uh, uh, reverent and sensitive to God, or before God, which I kind of like, sounds a little less... Uh, Intense. I don't know, but uh, work out your salvation, reverent and, and sensitive to God, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And it's that last part that I really want to talk about. I, I happened to be reading through Philippians this week uh, in preparation for a conversation I was having about it with some friends, and uh, it's that last line that I just read. For it is God who's at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It kind of clung to me. Like it just grabbed hold of me, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Because it's, this, it's an amazing claim, right? When we desire the things that please God, it's God at work in us. You know, when we will God's pleasure, it's God's power and presence, God's love, God's own pleasure that makes that even possible. You know, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and even kind of mean it, it's, it's because God is at work in us. And here's the thing I've been thinking about. I, I think most people will God's pleasure, even if they wouldn't kind of say it that way. If what we're told about God in the scriptures is true, that at the end of the day, what pleases God is love and justice and righteousness. What pleases God is beauty and creation and abundance. What pleases God is that the things that destroy life are done away with. What pleases God is that captives are set free and hearts and bodies and minds are healed and the world is made new. If that's true, if that's what pleases God, and in the company of Jesus and with the testimony of the scriptures, we have every reason to believe it, I think that's hard to argue against. Now, I mean, don't most of us want a world where life flourishes? Don't most of us in our heart of hearts want to see justice, want to see the poor lifted up, want, want to see ourselves and others freed from the stuff that binds and weighs us down? Don't, don't we want the abundant life that Jesus says he came to bring? I mean, I could be out to lunch, but, but I, I think so. Right? We may not always live that way, but, but I think it's our, our, our deep sort of soul hunger. Right? I don't think it's overstepping to say that when we understand what God's pleasure really and truly is, that we find that that is what we really and truly want. And, and even if those moments are fleeting and few, uh, when we feel that desire, when it, whether it comes as a kind of desperate longing because we, we're not seeing it right now, or it comes as delight when we do see it, it's God's work in us. God is at work in us, wooing us towards God's good pleasure for the world. I mean, how cool is that? But wait, there's more, <laughs> right? We're not just made to want what God wants. I, I, I'm afraid that sometimes, and for all kinds of reasons, that's, that's where we stop. And maybe I'll make this personal. I'm afraid that sometimes, and for all kinds of reasons, that's where I stop. 
Now, I really do try to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seriously, you know, I want that. I want to see God's promises taking shape. Even if it's true that when the kingdom comes in all its fullness, that means that the first will be last and the last will be first, as Jesus says, which is kind of a mixed bag for those of us who count ourselves among the firsts. You know, the downtown east side will be leading the kingdom of heaven parade ahead of the university endowment land someday. Even so, Lord, hasten the day. And Lord, hasten the day because God has shown us in Jesus how far God will go to love us. God has lavished this world in goodness and filled it with grace so we can trust that when God gets uh, God's way, even if it means that the world as we know it is flipped right over, that it will be good. It will be very good. Now, it's easy to want God's good pleasure when we understand it. But while Paul says, and the hope of the church, is that God is at work in us both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. God is at work in us, making us want what, what pleases God and to work for it. God is at work in us to make the deepest desires of our hearts a reality in our lives. We're not just passively sitting around. We're not we're made for that. We're, we're made for partnership with God. We're made for dynamic relationship in and with this world. We're made with everything we need to participate in the world as God made it to be and, as, and will make it again. We don't pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as if that somehow doesn't include us. God is at work in us to will and to work for God's good pleasure. Now, every day, every, every new morning is an invitation to foreshadow the way things will be when God gets the world God wants. From our households or closest relationships to our workplaces, whether that's a home or an office or a classroom, a store, wherever, uh, to our wider engagement with the world, God is at work enabling us not just to long for what God wants, but to work for it. The way we are with our friends and spouses and kids, the, the way we go about our daily tasks and spend our money and time and resources and our energy, all of it is an opportunity to work for God's good pleasure. Right, to work for the harvest of God's spirit. In Galatians, Paul says that that's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. So, so yes, hasten the day when, the, when God gets the world God wants. Heaven knows that can seem like it's a long way off. It's going to take more than we've got. That's ultimately God's work. But until that day, we are called and equipped as people who know that the kingdom of heaven has come near and nearer still. We are people permitted and commissioned by God's grace to seek first and nothing less than God's kingdom, trusting that everything else will be added. You know, the power of God, the power that sets captives free and raises the dead is at work in us to will and to work for God's good pleasure here and now. And what difference would it make if we really received that truth and, and entered it into it each day? What if we woke up and we prayed, uh, God, enable me to will and to work for your good pleasure? Or maybe write it out. God is at work in you to will and to work for God's good pleasure and put that somewhere where you're going to see it first thing in the morning. And tape it to your ceiling if you want to. Put it in the front of your Bibles, on your uh, bathroom mirror, on the front door, somewhere where you're going to see it. And then pray for the strength and courage to discern God's good pleasure 
to know how we can live in such a way that our whole lives please God so that our heart beats in time with God's heart and then trust God to empower us to work for it. God is at work in us, both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. Okay, let's take a break, uh, breath rather, and we're going to flip back to uh, Mark chapter 1. Because this is where I think, we, I think in this passage we see this in action, right? We see Jesus and those around him not just willing God's pleasure, but living it. Not just talking about it, but embodying it. He, he's not hoping that the kingdom will come, which is a good and solid hope to have, but he's proclaiming its closeness and he's bringing it to life in what he does and inviting everyone else to get in on it. Now, the, the, this, this first part of our passage takes place in Simon and Andrew's place, right? Uh, just a few verses ago, they were, they were working in the family business. They were fishermen. They were doing what everyone assumed they would do for the rest of their lives or as long as they were able to. Uh, and then Jesus came along and called them to do something else. And they dropped their nets and they followed him. And now they're not just going to long for the day when God gets the world God wants, but they are going to work for it. And now just to be clear, the point is that you, not necessarily that Jesus wants you to quit your job. Um, he may, but that's not the point. The point is that uh, he calls us in a real one foot in front of the other way uh, to get in on what he's doing, to join him in bringing God's good pleasure to life. And so they enter the house where Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. And in the first century, a, a fever is a much more serious issue than it is now. A fever could mean a death sentence, but, but Jesus heals her. He doesn't say, don't worry, there's going to come a day when everyone's going to be raised and all bodies will be healed. Instead, in that moment, he takes her by the hand and he lifts her up. He doesn't just will God's pleasure, he does it. And I think this should be formative for us as Christians, right? Disciples do what the master does. And we may or may not have gifts of healing. I have no evidence in my own life that that's a charism that I possess. Uh, we could pray for it. But, uh, but, but we ought to be asking how in our lives, with what we do have, can we work for life and against the things of death? How in our lives with what we do have can we work for life and against the things of death? How in our lives with what we've got can we seek the healing and wholeness of those around us? And it is not just healing, but it is wholeness. It's dignity and honor as well. When, when Jesus heals this woman, he restores her honor. The matriarch of a household in that time and place would have been deeply ashamed not to be able to offer hospitality to guests. How, how can we bring life and healing and dignity and honor in whatever we do? Because that's God's good pleasure. Jesus heals her, and her response is instructive, right? Having received healing, she offers herself in service. She gives towards what she's received. She magnifies what she's experienced. She adds to the grace she's been given by giving of herself. And then the healings continue, and the whole town is gathered towards Jesus. And, and this is more than a pop-up medical clinic, right? This is a vision of God's pleasure. You know, often in, in the prophets, in the Bible, uh, they talk about what it'll be like when God gets the world God wants. And, and, and there's always this kind of sense of gathering, right? Of inviting and scenes of people being drawn together, healed and made whole. I mean, imagine for a second, uh, if you can, the, the whole community of Capernaum uh, waking up the next day, everybody healed of whatever uh, bound them, whether that's physical or spiritual and each of them responding in joyful self-giving, like Simon's mother-in-law. I mean, that would be a glimpse 
of the kingdom. That's an image for the church. Right? How can we work in our lives and in our life together to gather and, and to invite to be a people of openness for those who need healing and hope, even as we ourselves are being healed and grounded in hope for the sake of the world? And the kingdom of God is this communal reality, even in a pandemic, right? Even when we can't be together the way we want to be together, God's pleasure is not for our separation, but to gather us to himself and, and towards one another. How, how can we be creative, even in these circumstances, to be welcoming and, and gathering and healing people? If God wills it, God will also empower us to work for it. So let's move to the second half of the passage. There, there's a lot going on there, but I want to I kind of jump to the end of it, actually. And I want to notice that what we see there in Jesus is, is God who is on the move. Right? How easy would it have been for Jesus to set up shop in Capernaum, to have people come to him, right? Put up a sign, kingdom of, of God ministries, uh, healings and miracles here, and, and let the people flock to him. Right? That, that would have made perfect sense. But, but our hope, and the hope that's worked out from Genesis to Revelation, from the first page of the Bible to the last, is not that we have a God who simply allows us into the divine presence, but that we have a God who comes after us, who comes towards us. You know, often when Jesus wants to describe the kingdom of God, he uses this image of someone searching and finding uh, something, searching for and finding something that's lost. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who searches for a coin, and finds it, or a sheep, a shepherd who goes searching for a lost sheep and finds it. God's pleasure is not just that we would find God, but that we would be found. Which means that God's pleasure is that we, as God's people, would not hunker down, but that the news of the kingdom would, would burst into the world in us and through us. You know, God's pleasure is dynamic. Look, I'm doing a new thing, he says, all over uh, the, the prophets. In Jesus, we, we see the God who isn't all that interested in setting up shop, but is the one who's on the move for the sake of the world. He's the one who's coming to seek and to save the lost. And so God's good pleasure is, is gathering, like, like the crowds gathered to be healed, but it's also sending, right? Jesus says, I came to go to the next town. <laughs> now, we've often talked about you Hill, about our congregation as a receiving and sending congregation. Now, we want to be a people, that, that, uh, a community rather, where people can find that home, that healing, that stability that our hearts uh, need and long for. Uh, a church where we're uh, a community where people can draw near to the God who's drawn near to us. But we also need to remember together that God's good pleasure is not for us to be insular and safe, but to be moving out in holy risk and mischief, following the God uh, who will go where God will go. Uh, bringing the kingdom, binding the demons, being light for a sin-dim world, being salt for sin-bland lives, seeking the lost, healing and loving with holy abandon. And whatever we do in worship, our, our prayers, our songs, our meditations, it, it's meant to find shape in all the other details of our lives. Nothing is too small and nothing is too big for God's grace. You know, in worship, we come into God's good pleasure. We draw near to the God who is pleased to draw near to us. And then we get to live it for the other 167 hours of the week. You know, by God's grace, our, our whole lives get to proclaim and embody the hope and peace and joy and love into which we have been called. 
the same spirit that overshadowed Mary to birth our hope, the same spirit that descended on Jesus at his baptism, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work empowering us both to will and to work for the world that God wants. And anything else, anything less, sells us short. This is what we're made for. So God, give us grace and guts. Amen. Amen.